This is my father's world, oh let me ne'er forget. That may be uh, one of those hymns that you think about uh, each day and remind yourself of in the midst of a world, as has been said already this morning by our worship leaders, that is going through very difficult uh, times and a lot of uh, difficulty, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. And, uh, and so this is our Father's world, and we continue to pray to him that his will would be done and that he would act uh, for the sake of his world and that he would use us uh, to do exactly that. As has also been said today, happy Father's Day. What a blessing it is to have uh, such wonderful, incredible, godly men that are a part of this church family. Uh, you lead us and serve us and are examples to us in so very many ways. Some are dads and granddads, some aren't. Uh, all are wonderful examples of uh, the blessing of a God who calls himself our Father. Uh, it was great to be reminded of the, the foundation of the Jewish nation, as Danny shared from Genesis 18. Thinking of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Flawed men? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and yet still used by God to uh, develop the nation through which Jesus Christ of Nazareth would be born and live and sacrifice himself as our Savior. As Galen said during our shepherd's prayer time, we do have that owner's manual and it is God's word. And it's the owner's manual uh, for all of us. And so it's, uh, we all have uh, great stories, those of us who are dads or granddads or uncles and have, have been able to be a part of those special, special moments uh, when uh, those babies are born. And uh, the moments don't uh, stop at birth. I love uh, this story that this dad wrote. He writes this, as ham sandwiches go, it was perfection. A thick slab of ham, a fresh bun, crisp lettuce, and plenty of expensive light brown gourmet mustard. The corners of my jaw were aching in anticipation. I carried it to the picnic table in our backyard, picked it up with both hands, but was stopped by my wife suddenly at my side. Hold Johnny, our six-week-old son, while I get my sandwich, she said. I had him balanced between my left elbow and shoulder and was reaching again for the ham sandwich when I noticed a streak of mustard on my fingers. I love mustard, and I had no napkin, so I licked it off. It was not mustard. <clears throat> no man ever put a baby down faster. It was the first and only time I have sprinted with my tongue protruding. With a washcloth in each hand, I did the sort of routine shoeshine guys do, only with my tongue. Well, I can appreciate that. I remember as a young preacher, I had a very good friend that Joyce and I went to college with, and we both married the same summer. He had uh, children before we did, and we both became preachers. And one time I asked him, how is it that you can have, you know, that baby that is so unexpected and you never know what's going to happen? And and, and yet also prepare yourself and be there for everyone in your role as preacher at church. And he said, well, Bill, you know, I used to worry about that a lot. 
I used to worry about that a lot. And then one Sunday, I was carrying my son in my nice suit, and I was going throughout the congregation, and little did I know that I had spit up all down the back of my sport coat. And he said, after that, it just didn't matter. It just didn't matter. That's part of being a dad. So one more story that will lead us into our sermon today and our sermon series that begins today. I like this story. You've likely heard it. A young driver was in a hurry to get to an appointment and illegally parked his car. I'm sure none of you have ever done that. He left this note under the windshield wiper of his auto. So sorry, but I have circled the block for 20 minutes. I am late for an appointment, and if I don't park here, I'll lose my job. And then this quote, forgive us our trespasses. When the driver of the car came back, he was shocked when he found a parking ticket on his windshield with the following note. I've circled this block for 20 years as a police officer. If I don't give you a ticket, I will lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. Well, today begins a summer series of sermons on the Lord's Prayer. And you may be asking yourself this question, why a series on the Lord's Prayer? The the Lord's Prayer has been a part of the Christian heritage and tradition uh, since Jesus first taught us to pray it in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. And so why a series on the Lord's Prayer? Just a few reminders of what this prayer calls us to do and to say and to be concerned about as we pray. This prayer affirms that God is worthy of worship and reverence, yet calls himself our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. This prayer reminds us and affirms that God wants his kingdom, his church, to grow. Thy kingdom come, it says. And we have had uh, sermons and lessons and uh, discussions about that very statement in this prayer. And for some, it's the reason why they don't pray it. Because they say that part's been fulfilled. The kingdom has already come. It came on Acts chapter 2. And if you're following my Acts uh, Facebook Live Bible study on my Facebook page on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 4 p.m., that's just a word from our sponsor, um, then you know, as we discussed that chapter in Acts chapter 2, that is certainly when the kingdom of the church came and began and started. But I want you to know that I firmly believe that it's appropriate to still pray that prayer and to still ask for God's kingdom to come. Because every time there's someone new that's added to the faith, that's added to the church, that through their faith and repentance and confession are baptized into Jesus Christ, the kingdom comes. That every time someone develops a closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ our Lord because of something they've experienced or something they have read and studied or someone who has touched their hearts in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, every time that happens, the kingdom comes. The kingdom comes. And it's right for us to pray 
that those things happen. God wants his will to be done both now and for eternity. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants to provide us with what we need. Give us this day our daily bread. God wants to forgive us. Forgive us our sins. Some versions forgive us our trespasses. Some versions forgive us our debts. In the book of Luke, he uses the term for sin, forgive us our sins. In Matthew and in Luke, in the next statement, the, the word for trespasses or debts is used. Either any of those is good. Typically, I will use, and I pray this prayer a lot, typically I will use forgive us our sins. That seems to make more sense to me. As we gathered around the table, our brother Jay Culpepper reminded us of that great passage in 1 Peter 2 and what it, the price was for our sins. How deep the Father's love. Quoting Isaiah 53. God wants to forgive us. God wants us to forgive others. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. God wants us to stay away from Satan and temptation, from evil and sin. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And finally, God is the eternal King of kings. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That great prayer is taught to us by Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and in Luke chapter 11. And so we will focus primarily on Matthew's statement and Matthew's version in Matthew 6. The passage really begins in verse 1, and we'll talk about that in a moment with the setting, and continues on in verse 5, setting that story. But I want us to read for just a moment the prayer that Jesus prayed, that Jesus taught us to pray, and Matthew's sixth chapter beginning at verse nine jesus says this then is how you should pray our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one And then in most footnotes or in the text, there is this based on other manuscript evidence. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The prayer is more concisely stated in Luke, in Luke chapter 11. And it's interesting to compare those two, as it always is. And it helps us to understand the thrust that Matthew had in recording this prayer and also that Luke had in recording this prayer. And so as we begin this prayer today, as we begin this study today, I want us to first of all ask and answer some questions about the setting. The setting, because it's a little different in Matthew and in Luke, but both of them give us some helpful hints in understanding where Jesus was coming from as he taught us to pray this prayer. We're reminded that in Matthew chapter 6, this first part deals with our worship, our direct worship, the kind of worship that we have in front of other people, the kind of worship that Satan uses to tempt us, 
to try to help us to view worship as something that we do to be seen by others. And so in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so he speaks about that directly in relation to praying, in relation to giving, and in relation to fasting. And the message in Matthew 6 is don't do this just to be seen by other people. Skipping down to verse 5, Jesus says this in Matthew 6, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, verse 7, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So a few things about these warnings from Jesus in leading us into this prayer. That he tells us, when you pray, pray this. First of all, pray genuinely. Pray from your heart, not to be seen or heard. And that is something that is at risk when you pray a prayer that you're very familiar with. Such as this prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. If it is just words that are mentioned by rote, then that's not healthy. That's the kind of thing that Jesus is warning us against. But just because you're very familiar with the words you pray doesn't mean that they don't have meaning for you and that you don't reflect on them. Just as we gathered around the Lord's table and partook of the church's family meal, the Lord's Supper, we do that every single week. And yet each time we do it, it has meaning. Each time we do it, we reflect on the body of Christ slain on the cross and also on the body of Christ that that death, burial, and resurrection established the church. Pray genuinely, not just to be seen or heard. And so it's a warning in these verses against hypocrisy and against vain repetition. And I think the emphasis there is upon vain. Repetition is not a bad thing. We're reminded of it constantly in scripture. And public prayer is not a bad thing. It's not what Jesus condemns here. Because how do you know that, Bill? Because Jesus prayed publicly. Because in several of Paul's writings, we have actual written prayers that he prays for his readers, for the churches and the people that had his heart under such concern. It's vain repetition that Jesus condemns, not repetition in itself, because in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed those three times the same prayer. Abba, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. We're reminded of that story and the powerful praying that Jesus had, words that were on his heart, words that he was very familiar with, words that he had already given to his father, and yet so intense that his sweat was like drops of blood. As Paul tells us about his thorn in the flesh as he writes the letter to the Corinthians that we call 2 Corinthians, he says, three times I prayed that God would remove this from me. And yet the answer was no, because he had something better. 
He had something better. In Luke 18, Luke records the, the parable of the unjust judge and the, and the persistent widow. This widow that kept badgering that judge. And Jesus says that wasn't a bad thing. It got her heard and it got her case resolved. And in the same way, God wants us to continue to bring our needs and our desires and our concerns and our praise to him. Later on in that chapter in Luke 18, beginning in verse 9, where we see the contrast between the prayers of the Pharisee and the tax collector, as Jesus tells us that parable. And that Pharisee is a reminder of what it means to pray in vain. And the tax collector praying that God forgive me, a sinner. How many times he must have said those words. How many times he must have prayed those prayers. And yet each time has meaning. When we turn to Luke chapter 11, that that verse is, uh, that passage is different in the context as Jesus gives us this prayer. In Luke 11, Jesus is praying. And the disciples are observing him praying. And then they come to him and they say, teach us to pray. And when they do, they're asking him, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus gives this prayer, but later on he also mentions that another parable about a friend who comes at midnight and and is banging on the door of his friend because he has out-of-town company that he wasn't expecting and he needs help. And the man says, no, go away, we're all in bed. And he just keeps knocking until the man finally says, okay. He tells us to ask and to seek and to knock and we'll receive the answers that we're seeking. He reminds us that earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children. And so therefore your father knows how to give good gifts to you. And all of those stories are not just teaching us how to pray, but teaching us that we should. That we should pray. You've heard me say before that the most important teaching in scripture, I think, that calls us to be a people of prayer is this one simple fact. Jesus prayed. The Son of God prayed. Well, the first part of the prayer calls for God to be glorified and for his will to be done. The last part asks for God's provision, for his forgiveness, and for his deliverance. Each week we'll examine one word in particular based on this prayer and that particular section highlighting how that part of the prayer describes our Father and his relationship with us. And so today the term is Father. As the prayer begins in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus tells us to address the God of the universe, the God of creation, the ultimate judge of all mankind, to address him as father you've heard me tell stories about my dad and the difficulties that I had with him and that our family had with him because of alcoholism and ultimately he and my mother divorced when I was about 15 or 16 years old but he was still my father and I'm thankful to be able to say I have a lot of great memories of him and one of my (laughs) One of my favorite memories of him is uh, probably our first or second year of college at Oklahoma Christian. We were going back and forth between Oklahoma City and San Antonio. And 
at that time, my mother had passed away, and I had her car, which was a 1966 Pontiac Star Chief Executive. If you've never seen one of those, it's roughly as long as this section of pews from here to the back. And as old and as bad as that car was, it was better than my 64 Ford Falcon station wagon. So I gave that one up, bought it for $150, sold it my, after my senior year for $100, best deal I ever made on a car, and took that 66 Pontiac Star Chief Executive in 1975 to college. Well, on one of those trips coming home, <laughs> I had a car full of kids that were from our church in San Antonio and had been up to Oklahoma Christian, and now we were going home. And it was late, and everybody was sleeping, and as I'm driving along, I notice in the rearview mirror, I hear a thunk. Uh, things just kind of go out of kilter, and I look in the rearview mirror, and I see all these sparks just jumping up like crazy in the back window. And I can't figure out what happened, and I pull over, and I didn't just have a flat. The whole wheel assembly fell off at the axle, and that was causing all the sparks and all the difficulties. And I remember, I remember that we called for help, but I remember that when I saw my dad, I just threw my arms around him and started crying. There's something comforting about a father. Whatever else is true, there's something comforting about a father. Many of us have difficult moments with our dads or our granddads. Many of us have lost our parents. My father died in 1987. And yet we have those memories. We're reminded of what it means to be a father. Throughout his lifetime, Jesus made reference to his father at the very beginning when it was just prophesied about his birth in Luke 1. He would be called the Son of God because the Holy Spirit would come upon Mary, his mother, and she would give birth. When he had gotten away from his parents, he told them in Luke chapter 2, didn't you know I, I would have to be about my father's business in my father's house? So many times throughout his ministry, Jesus speaks of his father. And then there's that special term in Mark 14. In Mark's version of the Gethsemane prayer, Jesus prays, Abba, Father, that very familiar term from the ancient Hebrew that calls on God as a dear, dear Father. Very emotional attachment. And Matthew, Mark records Jesus using both Abba, Father, in that prayer in the garden. He tells us to address God as Father, but not just Father. And this is the second part today. He tells us to address him as our Father. He's not just Jesus' Father. He's not just the Father. He's my Father. He's our Father. What does this say to us that we can call on the eternal Creator as our Father? our Heavenly Father. What does that mean to you to be able to call on the God of the universe, my Father? Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7 that, that we can call God our Father. 
that we do our good deeds and we let our light shine so that people will glorify our Father who is in heaven, that it is the God of the universe who provides for us and our Father knows of our needs, he tells us in Matthew 6. And that term Abba is used, I believe, only three times in the New Testament. And it's used once by Jesus himself as he prayed to that Father in Mark 14. But it's also used in Romans 8 and in Galatians 4. And what those passages tell us is that we are able to do that. We can call God our Abba Father, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry out, Abba, Father. How deep the Father's love for us, for you, our Father. The Lord's Prayer for 20 20 disciples is what I've entitled this series. And at the end of our service today, I'll I'll lead our closing prayer and I'll lead us in praying this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And if you're comfortable saying that out loud, feel free. If you're not, that's okay. Either way, concentrate on those words. Concentrate on what they mean. What Jesus is trying to tell us about our Father as he taught us to pray this prayer. So a couple of things as we close. The Lord teaches us to praise the Father for who He is, not who we are, but who He is. And the Lord teaches us to pray and live for what He wants. And that'll be our focus in the weeks ahead. This morning, if you need to come to our Father, we're here to help. Come as we stand, sing our song together.